found on the inside of your bulletin. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 26. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing a letter to the church at Corinth. And he's talking specifically about resurrection. And what are the consequences of no resurrection and the consequences of the fact that there is one. So let me read that to you, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 26. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Lastly of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his uh, coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The word of the Lord. Well, I stayed up pretty much all night uh, thinking about the events of today. Of course, this sermon was a part of that, but I also was ruminating much about the future of UVA men's basketball. I'm sure many of you also had a sleepless night. Uh, in fact, in my sermon, very, in a small font, you can't quite see it, it says the death of death and a prelude about UVA basketball. It's in like a .05 font. I sh probably should have made it bigger. Uh, as you know, UVA is on the cusp of going to the Final Four. I uh, had a great win there against uh, Utah State, Iowa State, excuse me. I can't even remember their name. It was such an easy victory. And we must hail Mike Toby, our center, who came out of the blocks with 18 points. 
UVA has continually had someone who has stepped up to the forefront uh, when has time has come to deliver. You know, that's the great thing about the NCAA tournament, isn't it? Heroes kind of come out of the woodwork. Who will step up in the midst of pressure and take responsibility and leadership and ownership of the team? You know, I don't know if you're a movie watcher, but it seems to me that all epics, all great movies, has this similar theme to it. That there comes a time when it comes down to one person. Everyone else has done their job, so to speak. But will this one person step up to the plate at great personal risk? I think of Frodo Baggins, the diminutive uh, hominid in The Lord of the Rings. Everyone's gotten him there, but will he step up to the plate and do what needs to be done? He's the only one who can, mind you. Or Harry Potter in that great epic series. No one else can do it. No one else can stand against evil. But will he? Because if he does not, all is lost. The Bible tells us that humanity is a story. It's the story, in fact, that all stories take their place from. I could tell you that Christianity is true without even listening to Christianity, just by looking at life. Because the story of humanity is one of creation, one of fall, one of rescue and redemption, and one of glory. See, we all know that creation is not the way it was meant to be, that surely there must be more to life we have hopes and dreams of the people that we were meant to be, and when we're open and honest, we realize that we do not make the cut. And so the Bible tells us that at the end of the day, it really comes down to one person, and his name is Jesus Christ. Humanity needs to be rescued in order to have redemption. Because the truth of the matter, my friends, is we all have one central enemy, Death, it affects us all, doesn't it? It's that looming stranger that we don't like to talk about. I have the uh, privileged responsibility of doing funerals, and there is one central emotion I notice in funerals, particularly of non-believers, and that emotion is embarrassment. People don't exactly know what to say at a funeral. He looks so peaceful. Well, of course he looks peaceful. He's dead. We can push off death. But why do we die? We die, the Bible says, because we fall short of who God has made us to be. For the wages of sin is death. We do this ourselves, don't we? We create a painting or we create a picture or something. Do we like it? Does it merit continuance and if we don't we simply crumple it away and we throw it away see that's the question of our life does it merit continuance but the Bible says that we all have sinned and so in the history of mankind all have come before death and all have failed except for one Easter tells us that in the end, it all comes down to one. Jesus came, Jesus died, and Jesus rose again. For he said, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. But that statement is only true if you can prove it. See, the wonder and beauty of Christianity is it's firmly rooted in history, in the act of the resurrection. Not what Jesus simply said, but what he did. See, that's why Christianity is called good news and not good advice. People can give good advice. That's what they have done, but they have died. Good news is something that happened. Because all other religions stop at death. But Christianity starts at death. The point of the sermon is simply this. The hope of all humanity is found in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ has triumphed over death, he is the true source of life. And we can only find our life in him. Well, over the next three hours, we're going to look at these several points. Number one, what are the consequences if there is no resurrection? What if we just wiped out? What if we had a Christianity with no resurrection? What would it look like? Number two, what is the proof of the resurrection? Is there any proof upon which we can put our feet, place our hopes? And then finally, number three, the result of the resurrection. Well, let's look at these three points. Number one, the consequence if there is no resurrection. Verse 12 says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? It's interesting. Even back then, Paul is saying, how can some of you proclaim this? There have always been people who have wanted to reshape Christianity into something palatable. You can go on many a university campus right now and find a Christianity devoid of the resurrection. We live in an age of secularism in which we have uh, determined by some status that miracles don't exist. There's only this age and this time. And therefore, it's obvious that the resurrection could not exist. Jesus, therefore, is simply an example. Even the founder of my alma mater, Thomas Jefferson, who was brilliant in almost every way, was a complete idiot as regards Christianity. For he took scissors and he cut out the particular miracles that he did not like. And he tried to make a Christianity without miracle, a Christianity without resurrection. Paul would say that's ludicrous. Many people want to make Jesus the same as others. He's a Muhammad. He's a Buddha. He's a Confucius. But all these other religions stop at death. Jesus clearly starts there. Paul says Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead. Remember, church at Corinth, this is the message that I gave to you. In fact, if you'll remember how Christianity started, that Christianity suffered a crushing defeat as their leader, Jesus, was crucified publicly, brutally on the cross, the goal of crushing this rebellion against Rome. And yet 50 days later on Pentecost, the very disciples who were cowering in a corner were standing up proclaiming the message and the centrality of it was simply this. We have seen the risen Christ. He is alive. Jesus' proclamation was also of resurrection. 
multiple times through the scriptures. He said that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Two weeks ago, I shared the passage that Jesus said that no sign would be given to this generation except for the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, so shall Jesus be in the heart of the earth for three days and then rise again. This was not done in a corner, Jesus' message. Indeed, even the enemies of Jesus came and went to Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how this imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. And so we're going to play this game with some of these people that want to take the resurrection out of Christianity. In fact, that's what Paul is doing. Remember that whole thing with George Bailey, you know? You really had a wonderful life. What happened if you never lived? That's what Paul goes on to do here in verse 14. What are the consequences if Christ has not been raised? He puts it quite simply. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. Indeed, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify that God raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. If there is no resurrection, quite simply, you are wasting your time here this morning. For my preaching is in vain. I'm doing this because I believe in the resurrection and in the message and hope of the gospel. And what this would mean is that the very thing that I have devoted my life to, to is empty. All of the things I've shared with you, friends, over the years are useless and should be struck from your memory because without the resurrection, none of them are true. Indeed, I am a false witness deliberately misleading you to hope in something that is not true. My preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. You know, at the heart of our people, as people, we want to trust in someone who is trustworthy, who is worthy of putting our hopes on, who will always be there for us when everyone else abandons us. But without the resurrection, Jesus Christ is not trustworthy. Did he not say, I will be with you to the end of the age? Not true. I will go and prepare a place for you, for in my Father's house there are many mansions. And I will go and take you to be with me where I am. It's a lie. Christ is not sovereign over the affairs of your life. It's chance. The opportunity for a personal relationship with God is but a farce. He is not to be trusted. Not that he isn't a good person, but he's simply that, a person. Your faith is in vain, and you are still in your sins. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. You see, built into the fabric of Christianity is this verse, Romans 4.25. For he was delivered over to death because of our sins and was raised to life because of our justification. You see, the reason that Christ 
got up on a cross and died was because someone needed to die for the transgressions that each one of us have committed against God and our neighbor. We are guilty, so to speak. There is blood on our hands in terms of the love and forgiveness that we have failed to show. But he was also raised to life for our justification. Many people, some people might die for someone, but how can you be resurrected for someone? You see, without Jesus Christ being resurrected for us, there is no demonstration of the power of God over sin. He's simply another one of the people who died for other people. But to be raised for our justification is the exclamation point that in Christ we too will be raised. We too will be justified before God. Without the resurrection, there is no justification before God. We are still in our sins. One of our deepest needs, aside from a trustworthy person to put our hopes in, is forgiveness. Knowing that we can be made right with God. See, I need freedom from my past. I need freedom from the things that I have done and the things that I have sought to do. I need a fresh start. I need hope that I can be someone more than I am now. But you see, all of those sins, they stay with you and me. There is no forgiveness. There is no status with God of being made right with Him. There is no fresh start. Our sins continue on and on. And those who have died before us have perished. Verse 18, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. <clears throat> Excuse me. This word perish in the Greek, if you could get me some water, that'd be great. <coughs> I'm sorry. Perish in the Greek means they've ceased to exist. Many of us have lost loved ones. Some who are very close to us. My wife and I, we have lost one of our sons. It means that he has ceased to exist. He's gone. One of the things as we would go to these grief groups that were some of the people in them who were not believers, who did not believe in Christ or the resurrection, we were struck in, even in our grief by the fact that they could not move forward because there was no hope in forward. There was only darkness. The conclusion, my friends, is this. If there is no resurrection, there is no future. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Life is a series of birth and struggle and despair and death. For there is no hope to be found. I don't know if you're familiar with this poem by Edgar Allan Poe called The Raven. Edgar went to UVA as well. It's a UVA weekend, frankly. The Baltimore Ravens, by the way, are named from this poem because Edgar Allan Poe was born in Baltimore. 
And in this poem, it's the story of a person who's lost a loved one. Her name is Lenore. And as he sits, thinking, trying to distract himself from losing this loved one, he hears this tapping at the window. And so he goes to this window. Before he does it, he actually has a hope, a foolish hope, a vain hope, that maybe this is a communication from his lost loved one, Lenore. In fact, it says here, back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning. Soon again I heard a tapping somewhat louder than before. Surely, I said, there's something at my window lattice. Let me see what there is and my mystery explore. Could it be thee, Lenore? No, tis the wind and nothing more. But as he opens the door, in flies the raven. We know the raven, black, it's a bird of carrion. It symbolizes death. But nevertheless, at least he's cheered a little bit by this raven. But the raven still beguiling my sad face, fancy into smiling. Straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of the bird and bust and door. Then upon the velvet sinking, I put, betook myself to linking. Fancy unto fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghast, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore meant in croaking its name nevermore. See, the raven only knows one word, nevermore. Where did he learn it? No one knows. But it's like this eight ball. Remember where you shake it continually looking for a new answer. This man continually goes back to it. In jest in the beginning. But in anger for the world sending to him this message. Be that word our sign of parting. Bird or fiend I shrieked I'm starting. Get thee back into the tempest and the night's Plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as a token of that lie thy soul have spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak from out of my heart and take thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven, nevermore. He's asked the question, will I ever, ever see Lenore again? And the answer is the answer if there is no resurrection, nevermore. He bids the bird to depart. But of course, the bird stays above him in his room, mocking him with only one word for his hopes. Nevermore. You see, a Christianity devoid of the resurrection is a neutered fable. Christ came for only one reason. Who is Jesus to you? He's a great teacher. He's a wise sage. An example of how to live out your years on this earth. But if you believe that of Christianity, it's not Christianity you believe, but some foolish tale. Because if Christ is not risen from the dead, there is no legitimate documented hope for rescue from death. So don't trust in religion. Don't trust in a fable. Don't even trust in yourself. Our only hope is found in nothing less than Christ's righteousness shown by the resurrection. 
Well, that's the consequences of the resurrection. What about the proof of the resurrection? Paul in verse 1 gives a resounding defense of it. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. Paul is reminding them they've lost their mourning, so to speak. This is the specific gospel that I have preached to you. And at the heart of it is the resurrection. Verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Scholars tell us that this is the first Christian creed. There's language in it that shows that this was a body of teaching accepted. It was the core of Christianity. Even the most skeptical of scholars, people like Michael Golder and Gerd Lundman conclude that this creed was created within the first two years after the resurrection, after the crucifixion, that he was died, that he was buried, and that he was raised. And that he appeared to Cephas, meaning Peter, that's his Hebrew name, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then to James, then to all the apostles. This summary of the people that Jesus Christ as the resurrected Lord appeared to is simply a summary. He appeared to even more people than that. Whether it's to the women, the first people who saw Jesus, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, or the road to Emmaus that day, two people who weren't even looking for a resurrected Christ. Then to the disciples multiple times. Indeed, Acts 1.3 says, to them he presented himself alive after his passion by many of proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking of the kingdom of God. James, the Lord's brother, Paul, enemy of Christ, and over 500 people at one time. And even the most skeptical scholar will again agree and conclude that whatever they saw, they believed that they saw the living Christ and it transformed them. Let's be honest, the disciples were cowards. They ran. And yet 50 days later, they're in the very place in the city of Jerusalem, standing up boldly proclaiming the gospel in front of thousands of people. Did the Roman garrison disappear in 50 days? Did the might of Rome disappear? And yet they stood. The women. What a foolish thing to make women in the accounts be the first people to see Jesus. Their testimony is not even valid in a court of law back then. That's a bad way to build a case. How about James, the brother of Jesus, who wasn't even at the crucifixion, who didn't even believe that his brother was the son of God? Remember Jesus saying to John, the disciple, here is your mother, where's James? And yet James went on to be the bishop of Jerusalem and one of the most stalwart defenders of Christianity who lost his life for Christ. What was his testimony? I've seen the risen Christ. How about Paul, the apostle Paul, who's on his way to arrest people, who has had a hand in in making sure that Christians were put to death or jailed, becomes, does the 180 of all 180s and starts proclaiming Christ. 
You know, there are many theories out there of how this could have happened. Perhaps they hallucinated this. Well, we all know you hallucinate what you hope to see. The disciples aren't expecting this. Paul isn't expecting this. James isn't expecting this. And Jesus appears to them, not as a distant figure in the sky, but eats with them, talks with them, touches them. All the Romans had to do was produce the body. And the whole thing is quelched right there. Maybe this was a conspiracy of these disciples. You know, I think to myself, if this was a conspiracy, it would have been a lot smarter to make up a spiritual resurrection than a physical resurrection, right? I mean, you can sell a spiritual resurrection, but an actual physical resurrection? All the Romans had to do was produce the body. Well, they said that uh, the disciples stole the body. Well, liars make for poor martyrs. And we know what happened to the disciples. The other... Uh, theory. Jesus did not die. You know, the Romans were really good at only two things. Building roads and killing people. They created the crucifixion to show the stamp of the power of Rome. You know, you died on the cross, not as much from the wounds, but you died from asphyxiation. Okay, that means you can't breathe anymore. If you don't keep going up, you die. That's why they push themselves up. That's why they break the legs at the end. How long does it take for someone to die without oxygen? About six minutes. So do you really think that the Romans did not have the ability to figure out whether Jesus was dead or not? That is a pipe dream. The unavoidable truth of the resurrection, despite people, many people trying to disprove it, is the most common sense answer is that Christ rose from the dead. Simon Greenleaf, the professor that succeeded Judge Joseph Story as the Dane Professor of Law at Harvard University, contributed extensively to the development of Harvard Law School, wrote the Treatise of the Law of Evidence, which is still considered the greatest single authority on evidence in the entire literature of of legal procedure. Greenleaf literally wrote the rules of evidence for the U.S. legal system. And Greenleaf said... Let the gospel's testimony be sifted as it were given in a court of justice on the side of the adverse party, the witness being subjected to rigorous cross-examination. The result, it is confidently believed, will be an undoubting conviction of their integrity, ability, and truth. My friends, truth can be denied, but it cannot be avoided. The resurrection is not a myth. It's as sure as any historical fact in history. And so we can refuse to look at the evidence. We can deny it. Or we can honestly come to the conclusion that God has invaded our world. That he's died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. And nothing can ever be the same. How shall you respond If you are a Christian, you can take your stand on a firm hope, a solid rock. For Christ is risen from the dead. And we can take confidence in our future and our hope, for it is secure. If you're not a Christian, what is your gospel? 
I work hard, I build a name for myself. I'm trying to create immortality. I appreciate the great philosopher Woody Allen who said, I don't want to achieve immortality in the memories of my work. I want to achieve immortality by living on in my apartment. You can pour into other people and live a life of selflessness. But at the end, the answer is simply this. Nevermore. Nevermore. This brings me to my final point. The result of the resurrection. George Bailey, in fact, you were born. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man also has come resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now for the farmers out there, what are the first fruits? When you have a harvest, you've planted a crop. They don't all come out at one time, do they? The hardiest, the fullest come out first. They're considered the first fruits. The example of that which is to come. A taste of the future. By looking at those first tomatoes, I can gaze in anticipation of the whole crop of tomatoes that is to come. Christ is the first fruits. By looking at him, we see ourselves. As in Adam all die, all who are in Christ shall be made alive. And so there are two lines to humanity. Those in Adam who trust in themselves, whose future is nevermore, and those in Christ. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, and then those who have fallen asleep when he returns. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to his Father, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. What happened at that tomb on that day? We witnessed the death of death. You see, death is now on life support. Rescue has occurred, and we are in the process of redemption. And ultimately, when he comes back, we will experience glorification. And so remember that list of things I said at the beginning, if the resurrection is not true? Well, because they are all true, here is the truth. That the preaching I'm giving you, far from being contrary and in vain, is life. A message of life to you, maybe for the first time, who have hope in a future and a solid rock upon which you can stand. Our preaching is life because your faith is on solid ground. When Christ says, I will be with you to the end of the age, he means it. And I will come back to take you with me, to be with me where I am. It's true. And the storms shall rise in life, and the streams will rise, but your foundation is solid because he is here with us. And how I live does matter. Stand firm then, believer, 
Give yourself fully to your work in the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The sacrifice that you give for other people, the love that you give for other people, the life you live in faith, it all counts for something. We are forgiven for our sins. I need not question where I stand with God. Because of the resurrection and my trust in Christ, I am not an enemy of God, but rather a son, a daughter. I have peace with him. And because I am forgiven by God, I can forgive myself. And I can even forgive others for what they've done to me. And those who die in Christ have not perished. We will see our oldest son again and their elder brother, my sons and daughter. It's not never more. It's so much more. A future, hope. We're not to be pitied more than all people, but instead we are to be envied. For we have chosen the best. And we have a sure hope in future. And every day we inch closer to the inheritance that God has in us, which he's demonstrated in rising from the dead. I conclude with this question or comment. So what? Everybody has a gospel. There's only two lines, my friends. Those in Adam and those in Christ. Do you trust in the world? Do you trust in yourself? All you will hear is the resounding cacophony of the word, nevermore. But if you trust in Christ, the one who has brought immortality to life through the gospel, all is being redeemed. Is your body broken? Do you struggle with depression? Do you feel your age? Christ will take us not only to death, but through death. Do you live with the failures of this life? All the things you haven't accomplished or should have accomplished? The best is yet to come. You have a sure hope in a future. Do you feel I can't change? I can't become the person that I meant to be. Christ who said, he who began a good work and you will be faithful to complete it is not done with you. For death is on life support. And we can raise our head even in the midst of our trials and weaknesses and faults. For our redemption is coming. And the glory awaits to be revealed at the coming and the end of all things. Because of the resurrection, the hope of all humanity is Jesus. Because Christ has triumphed over death, he is the true source of life. So put your hope and your trust in no one else. Let this day be for you a day of confidence, a day of proclamation, a day of hope. For he is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, you've given us a sure hope, not a pipe dream. Lord, help us to put our trust on nothing less than the truth 
that you died and you rose. Lord, and you are alive today. And through your Holy Spirit, we can have a personal relationship with you even today. Confidence that you can redeem and rescue us and one day will bring us to glory. We praise and celebrate you on your day, this Resurrection Sunday. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.